There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously, organic. Chocolate to savour. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, later in this episode, we're going to be talking about pandemic puppies, the 200% rise in people buying puppies from breeders during this lockdown year and why the DSPCA are bracing themselves for a rise in the number of dogs that are inevitably going to be brought into rescue centres when people eventually start going back to work. That old saying, a puppy is for life, not for Christmas has never been more apt. Ireland is the puppy farming capital of Europe and there is a lot to talk about. It's a subject Talia Heffernan has been increasingly vocal about and she joins us later to discuss this. But before that, we've been trying to encourage you all to shop local for Christmas presents, which I know so many of you are doing. And today we speak to Bevan Flood of the Design House in Temple Bar and in Greystones in Dublin and County Wicklow, where there is a great variety of limited edition products from some of Ireland's most creative designers. Most products are made in-house or in local studios. So when you buy, you have the satisfaction of supporting the local community. The Design House really is a one-stop shop for buying gifts for a wide variety of people in your life, including some of those harder to buy for people. It's a really difficult time for all retail businesses, as we know. And Bevan spoke about that, but I started by asking her to tell me how the Design House got started in the very beginning. The Design House I set up back in 2013 because I felt that at the time there wasn't many places for designers to be able to work from and to sell from. Because being a designer myself, I found I had started off in the loft years ago and I found that there was a demand for young designers and up and coming designers and then a growing demand for bespoke service as well. So like I set up a little desk and things there and then it was such a demand for that. It was like, I need somewhere where I can have a proper desk and sewing machine and a consultation space and and then kind of grew from there to wanting to set up the design house where I had studios and consultation rooms and showrooms for designers to sell from and offices and studios upstairs and stuff. Um, and that was in Dawson Street and we stayed there for five years um, and it was lovely, beautiful Georgian building full of bursting at the seams with creativity. And then we moved to Temple Bar to the Green Building, which is a very cool eco building. It's got its own ethos, which fitted in with our ethos of wanting, you know, Irish designers and unique, different sort of limited edition pieces. So totally fitted in with that building. And it's a beautiful building. It's got great windows on both sides. It's on Crow Street and Temple Lane. And then this space was even better because it had huge studio spaces for our classes. What classes do you do? We teach a lot of craft classes, one day craft classes in like candle making or millinery or felt or sewing, jewellery making, printing. The printing one and the candle making have become hugely popular. First off, it was the millinery about four or five years ago, which was the one thing that was the big trend was all millinery. And you'd have, we'd have afternoon teas and wine and champagne and stuff while we make our crafts. And make hats. Yes, exactly. And I, and then that progressed into doing that with all the other classes. So you could be beading something going, geez, I think I've had too many classes. Why? I can't thread that needle anymore. Um, but it's, it basically, it grew into being just a creative fun day out, you know, having something to do in the city. So they've kind of grown from having like two types of classes to about 12 classes or so now. Uh, and we do our regular sort of sewing classes. And what I love about the new premises is that we've got a huge pattern drafting table, loads of sewing machines and 
industrial and domestic and space to be able to, for the students to work around. And we've got built up nice regular students that come back and come every Saturday and Thursday doing their different projects and creative spaces to the point where they're now going to make their own garments to sell in the shop as well. So we're not only nurturing designers, we're creating designers. Oh, that's wonderful. And then, so that all sounds great. The place was buzzing, thriving, and then COVID happened to everyone. And what did it mean for you, Bevan? It meant we had to close everything as half the country or three quarters of the country had to. Um, and we were so excited about coming back. Like, because we have, with the new space, we have, with the Temple Bar space, we not only have the design hub, we actually have a beauty hub as well now. So it's kind of, the whole concept has has grown. So we had like people doing a hair extensions, nails, uh, eyebrows, um, getting Cairo sculpting done, you know, all that sort of really cool on trend beauty stuff. Um, and they all had to close too, like everyone did. So we were all sitting on the edge kind of going, what are we going to do? We've got this beautiful big building and we can't be open. Um and then when we found out we could be open, we got very excited. We got the place all set up. Brilliant. It's going to be really busy now. We're going to open the doors. And it wasn't. <laughs> because there were so many different levels of COVID, like saying you can or can't leave your house or you can't go into town, you can't go into town. Um, so it's just made it life that little bit more difficult. Um, and it's the foot flow's not there as much. The tourist market's not there. Um, but we're all trying to think outside the box all the time to keep moving with it and keep everything working. Well, listen, let's let's try and persuade everyone and tell everyone why they need to get into Temple Bar, into the design house, because you can cater for all their Christmas present needs really under one roof. What kind of things can people expect to find? Well, we have a beautiful new artisan food area. Um, so there's lovely uh, local um, makers creating like lovely hampers with different types of chilies, different dressings, um, jams, um, chocolates. Oh, yeah, yummy chocolates. Oh, my God, <laughs> I took a box home the other day. I said I'd bring them home for everyone to eat. Mm-mm, no, I ate them all to myself. Um, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't really admit that, should I? It's OK. Oh, We're all friends it's women, here. isn't it? We like chocolate yeah. on the women's podcast a lot. We do. So, yeah, then there's beautiful jewellery, amazing jewellery, um, incredible jewellery from designers where they even have little gift sets. Um, there's cool accessories that could be made from leather or made from like um, fishing ropes and stuff made into cool different things. We've got fashion limited edition sort of fashion one-off pieces great little ponchos felted ponchos which are brilliant as gifts scarves that sort of thing which again are good as gifts we've done up loads of hampers this year sort of geared towards different people so like we'd have one for the men in your life where it would have a cool organic t-shirt printed with Dublin logos and stuff on it or landscapes with some funky socks and cufflinks um or then there's there's even bits for the kids. There's stocking fillers for the children. There's things for your mum where it could be a beautiful sun catcher. Um, or there's soap sets, candle sets. We pretty much have it all. I mean, that's the thing. You're you're going, getting everything from the stocking filler, which is very always for the last minutes. You know, you need little bits and bobs yeah. to be stuffing in. And then you can get something for everyone in your life. It sounds like whether it's a, a man in your life or a mother-in-law or a sister or a great friend. Like, it's great to have a place like that because sometimes you're running around town having to go to 10 different places. It sounds like you could pop into the design house and really tick a load of things off your list. Absolutely. And that's what so many people say. And, and the amount of people that say, oh, my God, this is an Aladdin's cave. It's great. It's full of everything. And the men, every t- every Christmas, we get regular guys coming in going, OK, you helped me out last year. You got me everything. Can you sort me out again? Here's my list. <laughs> I will walk them around and go through everything with them. <laughs> that's a very handy service. There is women that come in that leave their wish list with us so that they'll go, oh, I want that, those earrings, those shoes, that handbag and that top. So it, I'm going to send in John, tell him that these are the things I want. <laughs> That's very handy. That means there's going to be no uh, mistakes on Christmas morning, no uh, sad faces and kind of, he doesn't know me at all. That yeah, kind of thing. yeah, 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 yeah. As we all get every Christmas. In terms of guys shopping, we're selling them a bit short there where they're needing all the help. I presume you also get men coming in who know exactly what their partner likes. Oh, absolutely. There are. Sorry, I don't mean to dismiss the men. No, it's fine. (laughs) But I I just wanted to add that because I'm sure there are, are there? 
Absolutely, there are. They are. And there's there's lots of men that actually they're like, no, I just want to buy local um, and I just want to support the local artists. I'm into creative things and unique things and that's what I want to get. And I know my partner would love this. So so if people yeah. go into the design house, they're doing that. They're supporting local because you've, I know you've some international uh, designers, but it's mostly local, isn't it? About 92% is made in Ireland. Yeah. So so people know that when they're putting their money in the, their pockets and they're spending in the design house that they're supporting Irish craft people who, Absolutely. who need yeah. the support so much at the moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and so just tell us about a couple of the specific design brands. You've got Juno James there for we jewellery. We do, yeah. One of my favourites. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very fond of the Juno James as well. I have to declare an interest. My friend Amanda is behind that one. So yeah. just in case anyone accuses me of anything. But tell us about <laughs> a couple of the other design brands as well that people might be interested in. So there's like Juice House, which is one of the T-shirt ranges I was talking about earlier, where they do lovely organic cotton T-shirts and they're really sort of trendy prints. They're great. Um, we have Red Kitchen, which is one of the food ranges. They're lovely and they do great little um, sort of packs where you can make your own scone mix and stuff, which is fun. And then we created our own aprons and stuff to go with that. So the design house has its own range through the building. So we'll, where we see little niches going, oh, that would sell with that. We'll make up things to go with it. There's Alex who does these beautiful felted uh, ponchos. There is Sue who brings in some really cool on-trend hipster clothes. There's Sparkle Mode. He makes these amazing leather jackets um, and his own jewellery range. Ina who does this incredible silver and bead weaving there is artwood who do the lovely sun catchers uh, with crystals there's like 70 over 70 different designers <laughs> so my brain is, there's no, bb no, paper You've done very well i feel like um I, some some listeners might remember the generation game where you have to list all the things on the on the uh, conveyor belt you know goodly yeah. toy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it definitely felt like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I mean, it sounds like things aren't as busy as you'd like, but but maybe, you know, this this I mean, this this is a crucial time, isn't it? Because like restrictions are going to lift a bit further. Maybe people are going to venture out a bit more. Things will get busy. Are you hoping that? Do you think from now until, say, you know, Wednesday, you're you're hoping that there might be a bit more of an influx? We're definitely hoping that. And we have classes and stuff scheduled for over the Christmas time as well so that people can get back in and start having classes and give them as gifts because people love to give the classes as gifts. Will the classes be starting back though? Because I suppose people will be wondering. Yeah, yeah. We have one this Sunday, um, a candle making this Sunday. Um, we basically just make sure that everything's sterile, that people wear masks, that sort of thing. And you keep the classes small so you can still host them. Um, but yeah, it's a great thing people like to give as gifts. But we've to try to think outside the box, we've started making a class in a box so that you can buy a box with all the materials for a class with the instructions and little uh, memory key with a demonstration. So you can go back to it whenever you like. That's brilliant. So yeah, we're always trying to evolve and think. Well, you have to. Pivot is the word of this of this whole year, isn't it? Pivot into yes, other areas. Yeah. So listen, before you go, uh, Bevan, are you hopeful? How are you feeling about, you know, I suppose the very survival of your beloved business and what you've done, you, you know, something you've built up over the years. And it's a very worrying time, I imagine. It is. It is. And I'm going to be honest, I'm on the fence. We're hanging in by a thread. <laughs> We, our Greystones store is, is brilliant. It's lovely. It's amazing. And if you haven't been out that way, it's in Belmont. There's beautiful walks and it's at the end of the Sugarloaf and stuff. That's a nice spot. Um, Temple Bar is incredible too. So yeah, we don't want to lose either, but if we, we may have to reduce to one at some point, um, but we hope to hold on to both and not lose both. Okay, well, we wish you all the best and we are going to tell everyone to go to the Design House on Crow Street and Temple Bar or indeed the Greystones one. And I think it's just that brilliant one-stop shop idea where you can go in with a list for a disparate group of people and you can find something for everyone. And those are the kind of places we need right now. And with the added benefit that you're supporting Irish designers, Irish craft people at a time when they need it more than ever. So, Bevan, thank you very much for coming on to the Women's Podcast and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Have a good day. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) 
Thanks to Bevan Flood and I will definitely be heading into the design house in Temple Bar at the weekend for some of the presents that I still haven't ticked off my list. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast brought to you by Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously, organic. Discover a different kind of dark. Now, Talia Heffernan is an Irish model who has been in the fashion industry for over 10 years. In 2017, she took part in Ireland's Dancing with the Stars, where she met her partner, Ryan McShane. Before the pandemic, she was doing a bit of presenting with Expose and also investigated veganism in Ireland on Ear to the Ground in 2018. Talia is passionate about animal welfare and she's an ambassador for the DSPCA, which she has been involved with for many years. She rescued her two pet greyhounds from the animal shelter. Uh, She lives with them and her partner up in Lurgan in County Armagh. And in recent weeks, she's been using her Instagram platform to warn people against purchasing puppies online and unknowingly contributing to the puppy farm industry. Her mantra is adopt, don't shop. And she wants people to educate themselves on the horrible realities of life for a breeding dog inside a puppy farm. And puppy farming is not something I knew very much about before I talked to Talia, uh, who was really concerned about the 200% rise in people buying puppies during the pandemic. So it was an eye-opening conversation, to say the least. Here she is, Talia Heffern. People will know you from your modelling, from Dancing with the Stars, but also you have been recently raising awareness for something that's very important at this time. Tell us about your... um, I suppose it's your exposure a little bit of the puppy farm industry in Ireland, which I have to be honest and tell you, I didn't know as much about until your Instagram posts. And it's really, really concerning. Yeah, I've been the charity ambassador for the DSPCA for the last three years now. And I rescued my first dog from them three and a half years ago, nearly four years ago. And I rescued my second dog then two years later. And from working with them, I guess I've kind of, seen a lot of cruelty cases that won't have been uh, publicised because what people don't realise is court cases are involved and a lot of these people who are um, registered breeders may or may not be doing the right thing when they're breeding their dogs and because they have protection of the Irish Kennel Club they often can kind of sweep the cruelty under the rug a little bit. So I guess when people kind of say to me like what I don't know what I'm talking about um, you can't see it in the news, so it doesn't happen. I mean, I think anybody who has any sort of education knows that everything isn't always reported on the news and a lot happens that we don't see um, in the public eye. So I guess through working with them and seeing these cases and then kind of opening my eyes, once you open your eyes, I think, to any cruelty, you really start to see the dark underbelly of it. And that's what happened with me and the puppy farming industry. And I guess the worst part of the last kind of 2020 for me, I mean, it's been really hard for all of us and there's been jobs lost and lives lost and a lot's happened. But one thing that has happened has been a 200% rise in the increase of puppies being bought online, which is actually an illegal practice. Um, Technically, there's a thing called Lucy's Law where it says you can't buy a dog on Dundee or Gumtree. But if there's a registered breeder's license number, they can kind of manage to weasel their way in. So it's, I mean, there's, you can talk about black and white areas. This is the greyest area I've come across um, and trying to just kind of expose it in a gentle enough manner. Because, I mean, I mean, people get quite offended when you start to talk about the fact that they've done something horrendous. And they don't even know they've done it um, by put, buying a dog online. It's quite a, it's quite a hard uh, road to navigate but I'm doing my best trying my hardest Tally for people who really don't know much about it and like who who might be sitting there with their lovely new cockapoo or labradoodle or whatever else um, tell can you sort of give us an explainer and let us know about how these puppy farms operate and why in, there's, in so many cases they're just really uh, not good for dogs and not good for animals and I mean the, the reason someone would buy a puppy I suppose uh, is because they want to have their kids love an animal and they love animals. But like you say, if people maybe knew what was behind it all, they might think differently. So do do a little explainer for us. It's a really tough one because what is harder than 
finding an image online of this beautiful puppy nestled in a blanket on a, you know, with its brothers and sisters on a lovely chaise lounge and they're all happy and, you know, wagging their tails and you've been looking for this dog and, and the price is quite is right and you message the breeder and you go to their home and you see these puppies and you fall in love. You can't just turn around and walk away from that. And I think that's what a lot of people argue. They say, but the puppy looked fine. The puppy was happy. Um, the, the house was, was, was beautiful. The people said it was the first litter. It was an accidental litter. It was their neighbor's dog that, you know, bred with their dog. Um, and they take the puppy home. And oftentimes they might take one or two puppies because they feel bad leaving the other ones. But unbeknownst to them, they're feeding this industry. So the more money you give people like this, the easier it is for them to hide what's really going on. So if you do go on gum to your done deal and you look at puppies and you made a perfect example there, the cockapoos, the labradoodles, these pure breed mixed breeds, I like to call them, um, which is not a thing, obviously. But they're, they're in high demand now because they have all, they boast, you know, they're hypoallergenic. They're family dogs. They don't grow too large, which isn't scientifically proven because when you're mixing two breeds, you don't actually know what you're going to get or they're always going to be different. Um, so... Yeah, the thing is, you go online, you find these puppies and the breeders can pretend that they live this life. Then you give them the money. They buy Airbnbs or they'll rent a house for a day or they'll make sure that their own home is far enough away from the kennels that you won't be able to hear the dogs barking. Um, you might ask to see the parents. They may show you the parents or they may show you a house dog that they have their own and dupe you in that way and say, oh, this is the this is the mom, you know, look how happy she is. She's fine where the mum will be actually in a kennel out the back. There's one kennel I know in Cavan um, that has over 300 breeding bitches. Um, and if you think about that number, like I have two male dogs and it's a full-time job. And I, it's a full-time, wake up in the morning, sometimes in the middle of the night to let them out. You feed them twice, three times a day. They need to be run at least every two days. I could not imagine handling 300 bitches who have pups the litters can be up to, you know, 10, 15 dogs if it's a bigger dog, a bigger breed. Um, and people don't realise that when you buy a puppy, more often than not, the conditions the parents are in or the mother is in is completely underneath the radar. You won't have any idea what they look like. The health conditions, you know, basically to, I'm trying to say this in the most direct way, in order to get the perfect dog, Breeders will do absolutely anything, which could be breeding the mum and the brother, the mum and their son, uh, the daughter and the son, brother and sister. Um, because genetically, if they are genetically pretty enough, so say if it's a pug, if their snout is, you know, particularly short or their tail is particularly curly or their coat is a, is a specific colour, they won't go, you know, it's not right to do something like breed them together, even if they're from the same litter. And sadly, what happens is they get the same genetic markings we would if we were breeding with our own family members. So you'll have brains that are too big for their skulls. You'll have blindness. You'll have uh, deformations in their, in their arms and legs, deformities in their organs. Um, but usually these things won't come to fruition until they're about nine, ten weeks. So you'll buy the puppy at five, six weeks, which it shouldn't happen. You cannot, you're not supposed to separate a puppy from his mother until they're eight weeks because they're not supposed to be on anything but their mother's milk. But you will be sold puppies up until four, five, six weeks old because they're cuter. The older they get, the less cute they are, the less profitable they are. Talia, just even you're talking there, I mean, I didn't realise that. I, I, I'm, I might be naive. Is that legal to do that, to breed a, a, a brother and a sister or a mother and a, a son of a litter because they, are they treated just because they're animals it doesn't matter obviously there's very strict rules in you know regarding humans or that kind of thing but you know but is that not the case then with dogs well they can't really track it this is the thing unless they're they have the council there during the breeding process nobody knows who the mother and the father or the mother and the father is um a lot of the times sadly they will use artificial insemination as well so they'll remove the semen from whatever male dog and artificially inseminate the female, which they obviously do in um, the dairy industry, in cattle production as well. So I think, well, Ireland is known as Europe's leading puppy farming industry. So we have a really bad reputation within Europe 
as just we churn out puppies. And I think it does stem back to the fact that we are an agricultural country. We do use animals for profit. We have done for centuries. We're known for, you know, our dairy industry, our, our meat industry. And what one of the most sickening things is a lot of these really successful, and I hate even using the term, but these successful puppy farmers were cattle farmers. And they right. saw the profits to be made in puppies. And instead of thinking, okay, well, we need to completely reinvent our, in, our industry and our business, they've taken the cows away and they've just put the puppies in where the cows were. So you've got these gorgeous small dogs, which you know yourself, lap dogs shake when it's cold. I mean, my dogs, I have lurchers, they're huge and they shiver if it's, you know, a degree below what they find comfortable. So these dogs are left out in the freezing cold in old cattle um, housing. But you don't see that. You you just see the the byproduct, these lovely little puppies at the end of this horrible process. And Talia, I mean, you have like, people aren't really thanking you, some people for exposing this <laughs> and for talking about it on your Insta. It's not, you know, it's not one of these popular influencer things that's going yeah. on because a lot of the time, like you say, people don't want to know. They've got their lovely puppy. They don't want to feel that they've been taking part in anything to do with what you've just described there. So what kind of feedback have you been getting from people? Well, I'm awful. I love a fight, Roisin. I love a debate. <laughs> and it's, I mean, for every bad message I have received and shared, I've received 10 lovely ones from people saying, oh my God, I bought my dog 10 years ago from someone. I knew it was weird. And I shared actually a list, which I have still on my Instagram, of registered puppy farmers in Ireland. And the response I got to that was, overwhelming I shared it kind of going look at the number of them guys can you believe there's so many out there but the response I got was people going I bought my dog from that person that's my neighbor that's my uncle that's my cousin and them kind of going I knew something was up but I didn't want to know until you've opened my eyes and forced me to see and a lot of people say you know they bought their dog and it has health conditions it died before it was two or they've had to spend huge amounts of money on vet bills trying to keep their their health um at bay and then obviously the negative response was people saying that it's a it's part of their business it's an industry you know that I'm trying to uh I'm trying to put farmers out of business which I'm not trying to do I'm just trying to even at least get the county councils involved to see more apparently, you know, what what the problem is, these county councils are passing these farmers because I don't know if it's a friend and family association or, you know, the tax man is getting a good profit out of these people or what it is. But there's one, the one I was talking about earlier, the, the breeder in Cavan, who has the 300 bitches. BBC did a documentary on their premises in 2016 and there was six, um, inspections carried out by the Cavan County Council in one year of this property and they said that there was no indication that there was any abuse going on but if you see the footage that was hidden camera footage it's disgusting and I'll send you the link for it it's one of those things where you're going well the Cavan County Council is saying that this is okay so surely every county council is kind of turning a blind eye which I know I don't want to get into politics because I'm god that's going to go on forever but um I just would love love to see there be a stronger legislation put in place where they were forced to open their eyes and forced to see that there is wrongdoing going on. Um, and then there's another thing where people are saying, I know my breeder. They told me that it's their dog's first litter. It was a mistake litter. But the thing is, if you rescue your dog, your dog will be neutered. Um, it's part of the rescue process. You cannot buy a dog or adopt a dog without them neutering because they're trying to obviously stop the um, production of dogs because the more dogs that are produced, the more dogs that uh, rescues have to take care of in the long run. So it's kind of a, it's a funny one. I know that there are farmers who do have dogs that are on their property who will breed by mistake. It happens all the time, but it's also a, a, a you know, a line used by puppy farmers because it's like a trap. You know, it's such an easy hook and what about people who say maybe that you're scaremongering, Talia, that there are lots of ethical people, that there are people who are not doing this, that there are w ways to buy a puppy that aren't unethical. Do you, do you think that's a fair point? 
sadly, there's a fair point in everything because you can say the puppy farmers are making money for themselves and their families. You can say that the county council are just trying to make sure that the, the government are getting tax from these people. Um, and it's the same with ethical breeders. You can say that, yeah, there's a business to be made. However, I don't think I'll ever be able to get over the fact that there's thousands of dogs being killed annually in this country in pounds because they're not cute enough, because they're not small enough, because they don't have the short snout and the bulbous eyes. Um, so that's kind of my counter argument to everyone. It's how can you justify the blatant murder of healthy, good dogs so that you can have a puppy from, well, like you said, an ethical breeder. What is an ethical breeder? Um, you can't force animals to mate constantly over and over. You know, they have a long pregnancy. They then have to obviously produce milk. But the thing is, a lot of, there's a lot of cases of mastitis. There, there's tumours that are grown on these, on, these, um, on these bitches because their puppies are taken so young and there's no one there to milk them. You know, there's, you can't justify breeding unless you only have an annual amount of dogs you're breeding per year and annual amount of litters allowed. And you wanna, you, you're definitely kept by the council to that number. But you can't guarantee that's going to happen. So yeah, I can't deny that there will be ethical breeders out there, but I can't justify buying a puppy when there are hundreds of thousands of dogs looking for homes. I mean, you're from the, the modelling industry, Talia, so I suppose you have a more, even, I mean, it's, it's not the same thing, obviously we're talking about dogs, but there's an aesthetic here, isn't there? It, it's it's people craving the, the cute accessory that everyone's going to be in the park looking at going, oh, it's so gorgeous. And, and that's the kind of dog you want to be seen with, where you don't want to be necessarily these other people don't want to be seen with a dog that is um, not cute, that, that it was rescued, that doesn't have the aesthetic nature, but obviously is still a lovable pet to have. Coming from the modelling industry and a kind of that very superficial world, does that kind of freak you out as well? Do you know what? I think my job is superficial, but I'm not superficial. And I would go to the shelter and think if my two dogs were basically couldn't be rehomed because they were too difficult. And I went, right, well, I'll take them then. So... I went to the shelter looking for the hardest cases. I studied animal psychology, so I want to be able to help the dogs that need the most help. Um, I mean, aesthetics to me wear off. Puppies don't stay that size forever. I mean, you buy a gorgeous bulldog, but you'll be dealing with snoring for the rest of your life because they can't, they don't have, a, you know, their nasal passages are so condensed that they can't breathe properly. So yeah, they look great on Instagram for the first two months. But they're still going to rip your sofa and they're still going to bark at your postman and they're still going to grow up and shed and chew things. And you're more likely going to have health conditions you're going to have to deal with. The one thing about a lot of rescues is they're more often than not a byproduct of accidental breeding. So that's usually when you see accidental puppies from farms, they'll be either abandoned, thrown into lakes, and sometimes, thankfully, they are rescued. And that's what happens when they come into the shelters. They're then put into the rehab process where they're, they're checked out. And by the time they're, they're ready for rehoming, they're six, seven, eight months old because they've been through so much. And nobody wants a six, seven, eight month old puppy anymore. They just want something that they can hang like a Christmas decoration on their tree. And speaking of which, you know, we grew up hearing so often, it's like a mantra in your head, that puppies are not for Christmas. But you mentioned a statistic there from this year. I think it's uh, puppy sales are up 200% or something, which is massive because we're all working from home. People are, are people who before were saying, oh, we can't have a dog because we won't be here. It's not fair are now thinking, right, I can. There are actually loads of people buying puppies for Christmas. It's like we're going back to 1960. I, I'm like, guys, it's a 15 year long to 17 to 12. Like my friend's dog was 21 when he passed away. You know, you're, you're talking about a commitment that goes far beyond COVID-19. Um, working from home is not going to be a thing forever. People are starting to be vaccinated. Jobs are back on. People are going back to offices now and working from from where they originally worked from dogs don't just disappear when you know you can't take care of them anymore and what people don't realize is they're buying these puppies they're not being able to manage these puppies but shelters have lost a huge amount of their income because of covid as well so i work with the dspca for example and they've lost 80 percent of their annual income because they do training courses they've got pet boarding they have the vet services all of which they had to shut down so 
you're talking about one of their hardest years in terms of income, but they're also trying to get themselves ready for 2021 when this influx of designer breed puppies are coming into the shelter with health problems, behavioural problems. Because again, like you said, when you, what we don't think about is the psychological effect that's going to be, have on these puppies. You're, they're being fawned over. People love them. They're taken care of. There's always someone with them. And then all of a sudden that stops. And psychologically, these dogs won't be able to manage because it's a complete change in their pattern and their routine, which is what dogs thrive on. And so you're going to be bringing them into shelters with these, you know, dark, deep psychological problems and more often than not health problems because they'll have been bred so much to be perfect. And that's another thing that's actually happening at the moment is if you go on Dundeal, which I do my research and then I, I put it up on Instagram because I just love to to stir that pot. And the, there's people who are actually asking for, you know, um, Jack Russell Terrier bitches between one and four unneutered, ready to breed because all of their other Jack Russells probably are so exhausted from having to be bred so much for the puppies that they're actually looking for new ones to come in. But what happens to the old ones? Yeah, listen, they're Tanya, just discarded. When you talk about all this, you, you've opened your eyes, you're trying to open other people's eyes. What, what do you put it down to? I mean, it seems like mass cruelty to animals across this country. I mean, you said we were the puppy farm capital of Europe. It seems to be a very ordinary, everyday thing that no, well, I'm not saying nobody, because obviously you're talking about it and so certain people are. And we had Holly Kearns talking about the greyhounds as well, which is another uh, terrible thing. But why, why is, why in Ireland are we so kind of okay with this? Well, I had a great discussion with someone. I did a pitch about the greyhound racing industry a few years ago. And everybody I brought this pitch to said, we can't roll with it. We can't film anything about the abuse that goes on behind closed doors because one, it were, it shocks people's guilty conscience, like we said. People don't want to be guilted into thinking they're doing something wrong. Animals, sadly, have no voice. So it's very easy to abuse them because they can't speak back and they can't speak up for themselves. And the animal rights are not half as important as human rights in people's minds. So people think they can abuse them all they want. For example, only the other day, um, another breeder, he has just been let off on huge animal cruelty cases. They called him the Auschwitz of Ireland, the, the, the conditions these dogs were under. They had, they had maggots growing out of themselves from, from open cavities, from, from breeding. And he got off with, I think about, I think it was a five grand charge, no jail time. And they only took half the dogs. The other dogs are still there and he's still breeding. So the problem comes down to, we don't look at these animals as animals. We look at them as commodities. We look at them as items to monopolize um, instead of what they are, which are sentient beings. And the worst part of it, when you think about it, is dogs were created by humans. Dogs are not a natural breed. They shouldn't exist on, on the planet. We created them from wolves to be there for humans. And now we're just doing full circle and we're just completely mistreating them. I mean, it's a real testament to human beings and our capacity for cruelty. Um, but I guess, like you said, people don't want to see their own injustices and what they've done. They'd rather turn a blind eye. And the, gray, the greyhound racing industry is such a perfect example for that, sadly. And we saw that... Um Holly Kearns TD being told she was an ignorant little girl for talking about it and obviously uh, that person apologised then afterwards but I really think he meant it <laughs> you know at the time when he well, said Well he's it. one of the IGB one of the heads of the IGB which is the Irish Greyhound Board and only the other day I tried to report a cruelty case that somebody came to me with um, about uh, a trainer and leaving his greyhounds during the week by themselves in a house an abandoned house and I called the Limerick, uh, it was in Limerick, the Lim Limerick Animal Welfare. And no, no, when it comes to greyhounds, no cruel, no um, animal welfare offices can take on a case. You have to go to the Irish Greyhound Board. And that was two weeks ago and I haven't heard back and I've tried calling and there's been no response. There's something rotten. There's something rotten in all of this, I think, Talia. So I think what you're doing is really, is really great. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning about, you know, people who buy puppies online and then they, they turn up and it's a house that the person has rented. I mean, I know somebody personally who this year exactly that happened and who now has, has a lovely dog, but feels 
terrible about it because they realised that this is, but they didn't know. And I think ignorance is okay when you don't know, but when you find out afterwards, it's kind of on you, I think, to speak about it, to help friends who might be thinking about getting puppies or to try and be part of the change and be part of a better way rather than just, oh, I'll just keep quiet because, oh, I feel bad about it. So can you just tell me if anyone's listening, either thinking about getting a puppy, has got one and is worried about kind of where it came from and how how they might have contributed, what can people do and what should people be doing? If you're considering getting a puppy for Christmas, really reconsider. First point, dogs and puppies are not teddy bears. They're not easy there, I, I always compare them to like having two-year-olds for 15 years because they have the mental capacity of a child. They take as much work and training and feeding and love as a small child, but they never really grow up. So it's a huge responsibility taking on a dog, one. Taking on a puppy is a whole other ballgame because you have to train them. You have to start from the beginning. Um, I understand people wanting, you know, the pretty puppy that they have from birth and that they can nurture themselves but a puppy from a puppy farm will have the same bad behavioral traits as most dogs in rescue centers people don't realize that people think that rescue dogs are bad dogs because they've been abused but there's no such thing as a bad dog there's only a bad owner and my dogs are the perfect example they both came from really heavily cruelty cases they were so badly abused and now they walk on command they walk off the lead you just have to be able to put enough work into a rescue dog that you're hope- hopefully willing to put into your purchase dog. Um, if you have bought a puppy during lockdown, do your research again. Remember the name. Look for these. I put, like I said, on my Instagram, I have a highlight called puppies. And within that, I have a full you know, list of puppy farmers in Ireland that have been registered. Um, so have a look, go on them, and then you can also report them. Report them to your local welfare um, company, so either your local shelter or animal welfare service or the Gardaí. Report them and say, look, this happened to me. I'm pretty sure that what they're doing is illegal. Um, we can't sit in silence anymore. It's time to name and shame, basically, is how I'm starting to look at it. I've, I've, for three years, I've been talking about adopt, don't shop. Please don't buy puppies. But the fact that it's gone unnoticed and unheard... I've kind of turned a corner now and I've started to say, give me their name. Let me know. And if you don't want to do it, talk to me. Go onto my Instagram, message me. And I've done it already. I've called people out and I'm happy to do it again. Um, And then aside from obviously reporting these people, educate yourself. Be part of the change. Like you said, Roisin, I've had people message saying, I bought a dog from Puppy Farm. And every time someone asks me where I came from, I say, don't do what I've done because this dog has cost me so much more money Um. I know that its, it's mum is probably sitting in a kennel somewhere freezing and I've given that breeder two and a half thousand euro to continue the process. And that's the best thing you can do is be part of the change instead of, you know, being defensive, which is something I've come across massively where people fight me and say, well, I didn't know and how was I supposed to know? And it's so difficult to understand. Yes, I understand that people are lied to in this industry and that's why we need to speak about it because we need these people to stop lying and getting away with it. Um, And instead of being so defensive and fighting people who are trying to help be part of the change, come to us, ask us for help and advice. And then we can go to, you know, the more there are, the more people that are fighting this cause, the more likely we're going to actually get an end result. So that's kind of what I can say well, I, I think all oh, that's fantastic. And I know that people listening, you've given them a lot of food for thought on that. People who have puppies, people who are considering it. Um, I mean, you know, it's something that I've thought about during lockdown. I don't have one, but I have to say, you have definitely given me some serious things to think about that I hadn't considered before. Tell us as well now, because you, you, you're you an animal lover, you're an animal psychologist, you're a model, you've so many strings to your bow. You're also an artist and you've created these beautiful prints of hearts. They're called Cree. And you are raising money for the DSPCA with them. Tell us about that. So because I started talking about the... Well, thank you, actually, to start with, Roisin. I really appreciate that. Um, I Like I said, I've worked with the DSPCA for a long, long time. But over the last few months, I've been much more in my activism role. And it's been met with mixed reviews. But people are more often than not quite complimentary about it. And very respectful and honest and say, look, thank you so much. I was going to buy a dog. I'm not going to do it anymore. But instead of 
getting these lovely messages. I want to try and do something. I wanted to have something I could give to people and give back with. Um, having tried to raise money for charities in the past, it's very difficult to ask people to just give money and not have anything to in return. Um, so during lockdown, I've been painting a lot. I've always loved painting. I was probably going to do art if I hadn't modelled. Um, so I did these two these two canvases and my boyfriend said, like, what would you not look at getting them printed? And I've been in relationship with artists before. I kind of know the process and went, okay, I'll try. Got in touch with a, just a really small, lovely local printer up here. Um, and it kind of went from there. And I decided, look, I've lost my job pretty much, but I'm not looking for sympathy or money here. I'm doing this to try and make some sort of revenue for the DSVCA and give them a Christmas bonus because without them, I wouldn't be able to be here talking about this because I wouldn't really know how bad the industry really was. So they've given me a huge amount of education on the on the subject. And in turn, I've been able to educate other people, which is priceless for me. And I also know how, how much they've been affected by COVID. So I still have a couple prints left um, and I'm donating 10% per print straight to the DSPCA. And then at the end of the run, depending on how many are, are sold, I'll double the um, proceeds. I'll double the proceeds to the DSPCA. It's just a little side project coming up to Christmas. I wanted to do something good instead of kind of the vacuous buying presents from big companies and trying to support small local businesses as much as I can. Where can people find it then? I'm just selling them on Instagram at the minute because it's my first run. So basically I have posts up on Instagram. If you just send me a message or email me, all my details are online. Um, yeah, that's it. Just get in touch with me. I have a few left. They're all numbered and signed and I'm shipping them for, I cover the, the shipping costs within Ireland. So Brilliant. Yeah. Um, and listen, you mentioned up here, so you're in Lurgan because you um, met your partner on Dancing with the Stars, Ryan McShane, which is kind of, it's. I mean, I suppose you never would have thought in your life that that's where your <laughs> life partner would come from. <laughs> Do you know how difficult it is explaining that to people? They're like, where'd you meet? And I'm like, not this again. Because people think it's so glamorous and I'm like, it's not really really not <laughs> but but you're up in the north now um how are things for you guys regarding covid and lockdown how has it been well we kind of started self-isolating from march because ryan's parents are both um considered high risk and they live very close to us which is part of the reason we moved up here so i've been doing odd jobs every now and again but we have mainly been isolating since march which i mean is loads of fun <laughs> it's been fine i mean you really get to know someone when you're living in their pocket for nine months. We're still months. together anyway. That's yes, funny. I mean, they, that's what I keep saying. People are like, how are you doing? And I'm like, look, we're still together. No more questions, okay? It's fine. Um, we've been doing well, though. We moved up here, actually, funnily enough, to take it back to what we were talking about because we tried to find a rental accommodation in Dublin and no one would take dogs, which was another thing that a huge amount of dogs went back into the system because people had to find new homes during the housing crisis and nobody wanted to take dogs. So in order for me to keep my dogs, I needed to look outside of the box, the box being Dublin. And we moved up here and we've got a huge amount of land at the back for my dogs, thankfully. But the government really doesn't make it any easier to be a dog owner, which is another big problem because these 200% raise or all this, this huge rise in puppies is only going to be more difficult when they grow up and people are trying to move house and find I mean places. it's just the irony of that Talia isn't it because on the one hand the blind eyes being turned to all these puppy farms so there people are being allowed to breed all these dogs and then on the other hand the societal structures and infrastructure are not set up for people to have all these dogs so it's completely counterintuitive and it's wrong on so many levels that it it seems glaringly obvious it's wrong and yet because there's money involved and because that's the way it is. And, and we don't seem to be able to do anything about it. I think what you're doing is really so admirable. And I, and I hope that there's other people getting on board. I hope you're creating an army of people who are aware, who, who want to be part of the change. And like you said, defensiveness is not the answer. I mean, we all make mistakes in life yeah. because we're not aware of things. And you're not going around judging people and telling people they're terrible. But you are saying, now you know this, you can't continue on in the same way. And I think... Um, I'm just really grateful to you for getting the message out there. I'm not a dog owner and it's a long time since I had a dog, but just hearing you talk about the cruelty that's going on, it's it's heartbreaking. And it's like you said, they are sentient beings. They are 
they are uh, creatures that deserve respect and love and all of that. And that's not what's happening in this country. And there's no point pretending that the look of this beautiful, beautiful, cute thing, that that's the story. That isn't the story because behind that is so much ugliness and cruelty. And uh, I'm just very grateful to you for what you're doing and for coming on and talking to us about it. So final little uh, message for everyone out there in terms of, you know, being good to these animals and caring about them. What would you say? Look at your animal like your child. Just because they have four legs, well, some of them, some of them have three legs, some of them have two. But just because they don't look like us doesn't mean they don't feel like us. Um, you're speaking about irony and, and the hypocrisy involved in this whole organisation. What's most hypocritical to me is that, like I said earlier, animal, dogs are a byproduct of human beings. They, they do not have a place in this planet outside of us. We have bred wolves over and over again to all of a sudden look like a chihuahua. Uh, there's so much moral injustice going on and it's so cruel and then we're still abusing them to this day. Just treat animals with respect. Treat animals as you would treat your neighbour. Treat animals as you would treat your friend. Um, and the love that you'll receive back in turn, you know, it's, it's, it's not a selfless act, it's selfish. You will receive this incredible love back. One of the GSPCAs, um, one of their slogans is, you can't buy love, but you can adopt it. And it's so true because everybody who meets or has, an, has a rescue animal will always say that they don't feel love like you do from a rescue. Like my dogs look at me in the morning and it's like, gosh, you're great. That's, what, that's the look I get from my dogs. And when you're having a bad day and you feel a bit shit and your dog looks at you and you go, I'm not that awful, am I? And, you know, if you're really considering taking on the responsibility of another life, consider giving an animal that's already on this planet and is already in a bad place, a chance at life. You know, you're, you have this opportunity to do something quite godly. And yet people are, 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 are refusing to do it because apparently they're, they're bad animals. But I can vouch that they're, they're not. There's no such thing no, as bad No dogs. bad animals, only bad owners, I think. Absolutely. And bad breeders, it sounds like, a lot of them, unfortunately. But Talia Havnan, thank you so much and a very happy Christmas to you. Thank you, Roisin, and the same to you. Merry Christmas. Thanks very much to Talia Heffernan. Like she said, there are still some of those prints available if you find her on Instagram and she's raising money for the DSPCA, which, as you know, is a very good cause, especially at the moment. I'm sure that has given you a lot to think about. It definitely did me. Well, that's all we have time for on the podcast. It's produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. It's nearly Christmas. Stay safe, meeting up with your friends and doing your shopping. And I will talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.